We talked about Ihsan. We talked about what its uh, meaning is and how it is the pinnacle of this deen. Islam and then Iman and then Ihsan. A person that wants to achieve the pinnacle of this deen, excellence within this deen, they have to try to reach a state of Ihsan. So we've talked about that. Um, now, when a person tries to traverse this path, there are many different names that are given. And the name that most commonly we've heard of is known as Tazkiyah, or Tazkiyah nafs This comes in the Quran. One of the principal responsibilities of the Prophet ﷺ was to purify the people. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it comes in the Quran in two places, at least two places. So the Prophet one of his four principal responsibilities as outlined in these two verses was to purify the people. So which means to purify, right? This is one of the principal uh, responsibilities of the Prophet toward the people. So Ihsan, Tazkiyah, whatever you want to call it, Tasawwuf is another name, in which a person um, traverses the path, Suluk, a person who traverses the path of becoming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they take on this path. They take on this path of purification and rectification such that they become lovers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the ulama of Tazkiyah, um, they explain, uh, they help us better understand what, who we are as human beings, as creation. And the brothers are on that side. If you could move here um, to where the right, yeah, it'll just be easier. You're okay. You're okay. So they explain what the human, they explain all of creation. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. We talked about that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And He created in two different ways. He created in two different ways. One way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created is that He created and instantly that creation had then been created. And it comes in the Quran. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kun fayakun. Be and it happens. It happens instantly. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Be and then it occurs instantly. And that's one way of creation. The second way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates is tadrijan, over time. Over time it's created. And that's this world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, خَلَقَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ فِي سِتَّةِ أَيَّامِ in six days, in six days that creation had occurred. So whether so creation either occurred instantly or creation occurred when Allah Ta'ala created over a period of time. Now the created world is called Alamul Khalq. The created world is called Alamul Khalq. The world, there's two spheres, I told you. The first, and you have to understand this, and if you're not following me, then stop me and I'll try to, try to explain it a different way. But the created world is called Alamul Khalq. And that world was created over Tadrijan, over, over six days. Over time it was created. So the things that are from the created world are things that we see around us. The skies, the mountains, the trees, animals, etc. These are all from the created world. And it occurred over several days for this creation to take place. And then the commanded world is called Alamul Amr. Alamul Amr, the commanded world. The world that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said for it to be created and it was created instantly. Kun fayakun. Now, 
anything that is heavenly or that comes from the heavens, angels, you know, Jannah, goodness, righteousness, dhikr, all of these things that are non-materialistic and that are not from the apparent created world, these all are from the commanded world. Okay, so there's alam al-khalq and alam al-amr. The things that we see around us physically that we can touch are alam al-khalq, and that was created over time. The alam al-amr are those things that were created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said for it to be present, and it was present. And it was present. Now, the unique thing about the human being is that the human being is from both types of creation. Alam al-khalq and alam al-amr. Alam al-khalq and alam al-amr. Now, alam al-khalq, when this world ends, it'll all be disappeared. Everything will disappear. Right? So the human being is created of, from both spirit, from both spheres. From both creation, the created world, and then from the commanded world. What of us is from the created world? It's our bodies. And what from us, or what of us is from the commanded world? It's our souls. Our souls. So the human being is composed of two parts, a body and a soul. Now we have to understand this principle, because if we don't understand this principle, it'll be very difficult to understand how a person purifies themselves such that they become very close to Allah. So the human being is created from a body and a soul. From a body and a soul. The body, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the commanded world, there's a created and a commanded world, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the body from the created world. So Allah ta'ala created our souls, and then He placed us in this world with this physical body that you see, and our souls are within it. The body is just a vehicle for the soul. And that body will be there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and eventually that body will be placed in the grave. It'll disintegrate, it'll disappear, and the soul is what will actually carry on. And then hereafter when we're standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it'll be our soul predominantly that is there. So if we understand this, so, so then we have, to, so we have to understand that. That we, the human being is composed of a body, and the human being is composed of a soul. The body was created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tadrijan over time. Right? It, comes in the, it comes in the Qur'an. Uh, Allah ta'ala so beautifully describes you know, the embryology in the Qur'an. He created a, a clot. Uh, and then a flesh. And then bones from that flesh. And then from that, and then the bones, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took flesh and then uh, um, uh, meat and then he put it on top. Lahma. On, on top of the bones. So this is de described to us in the Quran. And then the soul, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says about the soul. They ask you about the soul. Know that the soul, or tell them that the soul is from which world? From what? From my command. Right? And so the ulama interpret this as the commanded world. So the soul comes from one sphere and the body comes from a different sphere. A sphere and human beings, out of all the creation in this world, human beings are unique in that we are created from both spheres. Human beings are unique in that we are created from both spheres. Now, that we understand that principle. The next principle to understand is that the body is sustained by things from the created world. The body is nourished and sustained by things from the created world, alam al-khalq. And the soul is sustained and nourished by things from the commanded world, alam al-amr. The body is sustained and nourished by things of this world. 
and the soul is, is sustained and nourished by, by things that come from above the heavens. From above the heavens. So if you were to think about the body, what are the things that, that feed the body? The body is fed by food. Where does food come from? Food comes from the ground. The ground is what? From the earth. Right? The food meaning plants come from the ground. There are certain animals that we eat. Those animals then feed off the ground to nourish themselves. So they are also part of alam al-khalq. Right? And then if you think about what other basic human needs there are of the body. There's shelter. Right? So we live in homes. What are homes made out of? Brick. They're made of concrete, cement, wood, paneling. All these things come from the earth. So the body is sustained and it is kept alive by the things of this world. So mainly food, clothing. What does clothing come from? Wool, cotton. These things are either, they, they, they predominantly come from either animals that get their sustenance from the ground or from the ground itself and they're grown. Or they're created or synthesized from materials that come from the ground. So our basic bodily needs and all of the body's needs come from the earth. The soul, on the other hand, is sustained by things that are from above the heavens. From things that are from above the heavens. And the soul is fed and nourished by these things. What are those things? Recitation of the Quran. Doing the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Coming in righteous company. Coming in, coming in the company of righteous people. Coming to the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Leaving sin. Uh, doing dhikr of the heart. These are all things that the soul is nourished by. The soul isn't going to be nourished by the things that nourish the body. And in fact, this is the biggest misconception that we have today. We think that our peace of mind and our soul is sustained by things of this world, and so we try to feed it things of this world. So we try to feed it things of this world. But in reality, all we've done is we've fed the body and the soul has been completely crushed. We've subdued the soul and we fed the body. Subdued the soul and we fed the body. We fed the body, fed the body, fed the body so much that the soul has been completely neglected. And a soul that has been completely neglected, eventually, if it's not receiving sustenance that it needs, then it'll eventually, it'll just starve, its, it'll just starve and then it'll die. It'll starve and then it'll just die. And the result of that is that we're not at peace with ourselves. We're not at peace with ourselves. Because we think, and this is a mistake that we've made, we think that happiness, peace, contentment, ease, all of these things, a sense of uh, satisfaction in our life, we think that this is a characteristic of the body, when in reality it's actually a characteristic of the soul. And if we continue to chase the body and think that if we indulge in all the pleasures and all the luxuries of this world, then we'll finally be people that are happy and content, then we've fooled ourselves. If we become people that recognize that the soul is sustained by things of goodness from above the heavens and we feed the soul, then we'll be the happiest people on the planet. We'll be the most content people on the planet. We'll be the happiest people on the planet. Because when the soul is nourished, not the body, the physical body, when the soul is nourished, that soul is able to grow and flourish. That soul isn't able to grow and flourish. And that soul makes us the happiest people on the planet. And right now our souls are crying to be nourished. They're, they're, they're screaming, you know, give me some nourishment. Yet we've completely neglected it. We've thought that by sustaining the body, we think that we're going to achieve happiness in this world. So this is what the average human being does. When we feel 
like we aren't satisfied with our circumstances or, or whatever, whatever it might be, when we aren't happy, when we feel this sort of a state, what do we do? We try to change things in our life physically that would make us feel happier. Maybe, maybe if I get a better job, then that'll finally make me happy. You know, right now I'm making $30,000. If I was making $50,000, then I would be the happiest person on the planet. You know, I have shoes that are now six months old. I'm sure if I get a new pair of shoes, then I'll finally be happy. You know, I'm driving a car that, you know, is worth $20,000, and I'm waiting for that, you know, luxury vehicle that's worth $80,000. When I purchase that vehicle, then I'll be the happiest person. Then a person will take these steps, they'll purchase things, they'll, they'll make changes in their life. You know, a person will say that the home I live in, it's only a three-bedroom, it's only 2,000 square foot. I'm waiting. Once I can get that, you know, 3,000 square foot house, then I will be happy with myself. But happiness is not a characteristic of the body. It's a characteristic of the soul. A person will try to feed the body through these things in hopes of becoming happy. And what will happen is they may be happy for a few days. For a couple of days after, they make that change or they, they, they feed their body with whatever it might be, right? They're the, 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 or they're nafs. Nafs being the focal point, the command center of the body is the nafs. And they'll feed their nafs and feed their nafs and feed their nafs and think that by feeding their nafs, they're going to achieve some sense of contentment or some sense of peace in their life. But peace doesn't come by sustaining the body. Peace comes by sustaining the soul. Peace comes by sustaining the soul. So although we might get that moment of happiness or those few days of happiness, ultimately, and you can see this in society around us, you know, how, uh, how depressed people are nowadays around, right? I mean, the, the people that are the wealthiest are the people that are the most depressed today. The people that have the most, you know, quote unquote in this world, the most wealth, the most money, the most power, they are the most depressed people if you speak with them. You, you, they're the most depressed people. It's because the focus has turned toward feeding and and trying to satisfy the nafs, being the command center of the body. And in doing that, we've completely neglected and ignored the soul, which is the, command, uh, the, the heart, which is the command center of the soul. Which is the command center of the soul. So there has to be some sort of a balance, right? There has to be some sort of a balance. In the same way that for our children, we are concerned about what nutrition they get you know every step of the way you have a, a one-year-old child at home or a six-month-old child you're making sure that you're feeding them and you're feeding them if a mother is you know nursing them she'll make sure that she you know every six hours she feeds them or every three hours or every two hours she'll have a schedule and if the child is not fed she'll make sure that she sets an alarm and then and then the child is fed you know a two-year-old a three-year-old child Every parent is so concerned that they eat a fruit a day, that they have a vegetable a day, that they, that they you know, avoid you know, fatty foods and, and things with a lot of sugar. You know? And we're so concerned about sustaining the physical body that us, human beings, and, and, and believers in particular, we've neglected the heart, which is the command center of the soul. And in doing that, we've become, we've become people that, 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 uh, that, are not, that are never content. We've become people that are never content. Now, and, and if things aren't making sense, you can stop me, or you can write these, write, write the questions down and we can uh, address those, inshallah. Is it making sense so far? So then, the key is, for us to become people of ihsan, to us to become people of success, for us to become people who become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to recognize that our souls need to be fed and our bodies at least to some degree needs to be suppressed. 
Meaning our nafs cannot be out of control. Our nafs cannot be out of control. The things that we feed our nafs today, right? We eat whatever we want to eat and we don't even think twice. Right? We go to the, you go to Starbucks and you have so many options and you're not satisfied. You can get, you know, you can get a, a regular black coffee. You can get one from Bolivia. You can get one from Brazil. You can get a coffee from, you know, I don't know, Madagascar. You know, then you can get a cappuccino. You can get a latte. You can get a macchiato. And every time you're thinking, oh, there's nothing here. There's nothing, what can I buy? There's nothing left. Uh, there's nothing that I want. You know, there's so many options because we've fed our nafs to that degree. That all the, 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 the amount of time that we spent in front of the computer on the internet, you know, just spending time and time and time just feeding our nafs, feeding our nafs with all of these things, right? And we've completely neglected the soul. We've completely neglected the soul. And as a result, we've become people that are completely distanced from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A believer approaches Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by one, elevating their soul, and number two, at least to some degree, subduing their nafs. What are the effects of a person who feeds their soul? What are the effects of a person that feeds their soul? Number one, that person becomes very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That person becomes very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. By feeding the soul, and at the command center of the soul, the core of the soul being the heart, by feeding the heart and giving it its nutrients, giving it its nutrition, not the physical heart, the spiritual heart, giving it its nutrition, a person draws very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Such that when they then pray the salah, they, they begin their salah and they want to pray for hours and hours and hours. Such that when they take the Qur'an off the shelf, they'll take it off and they'll want to recite it for hours and hours and hours. Such that when they come into the masjid, they desire to sit in the masjid for you know, three, four hours at a time. A person that elevates and feeds their soul becomes very close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A second benefit of a person who feeds their soul in this life is that they become very happy. They become very happy. You know, nowadays, people in general aren't happy, right? I mean, the happiness that people probably experienced 100 years ago before all the technologies that we have today, we don't experience that anymore. People are just not happy. You could speak with the average person, you know, average coworker at work or the average peer at school, and everyone has some sort of thing that's keeping them down. We're just so depressed. This clinical depression, we're not talking about that, you know, but this is the day-to-day uh, mood changes that we have and the reason is because we've neglected the soul and when the soul has been neglected for a period of time it becomes miserable the person becomes miserable so an effect of starving the soul so, so the second benefit of feeding the soul and nourishing the soul is that the person becomes very happy and very content Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran ala bi that verily, in the remembrance of Allah, which is, and we'll talk about the, what the food for the soul is, but in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is one food, or one type of food for the soul, القلوب, that the hearts find peace. And today, everyone's looking for peace. In the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do hearts find peace. A person that focuses on their soul and recognizes that this is not going to be sustained by all of the, glit, the the glamour of this world and attaining and amassing all of the wealth in this world, getting a million dollars doesn't make, guarantee happiness. We think it does. Driving a nice car doesn't guarantee happiness. We think it does. Having a really nice home doesn't guarantee happiness. We think it does. Happiness comes from feeding the soul. 
the third benefit is that when the soul is fed then it results in a healthy state of iman when the soul is fed through the things that feed and nourish the soul through goodness righteousness good company all of these things then it then it creates a state of healthy iman what do i mean Nowadays, our iman is so weak that any difficulty or challenge that comes our way, you know, it, 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 will, it will make us second guess why we're even Muslim. It'll make us think twice about, why, why, why am I doing this? You know, some difficulty comes our way, some challenge comes our way, you know, whether it be, you know, something in the community or something from a friend or something from a family member. And our iman is, is at stake, right? The wind blows a little bit, the wind blows a little bit outside and we just topple over. We just topple over like that. A person that feeds their soul, their iman becomes so solid such that when difficulty comes to them, or when the wind is blowing, or it's a little rough outside, they're able to withstand that. They're able to withstand that. And the thoughts in their mind that are coming and telling them, is it even worth it? Why am I doing this? Maybe I should leave the sunnah. Maybe I should, you know, maybe I should just stop praying. Maybe I should stop identifying myself as a Muslim, and all of these crazy thoughts then come into our mind because there's a little bit of difficulty. But a person that feeds their soul solidifies their iman such that they're able to withstand the day-to-day challenges and even those, you know, those big hurricanes that sort of come and, 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 and everything gets wiped out, but there's always you know, a few people that are left standing that have somehow found a place of security or a state of peace or a place where they can you know, hide out for a bit. Similarly, even when that big storm comes through, the person that feeds their soul is able to withstand that kind of a storm as well. That's, for the, that's the benefit in this world. The benefit in the hereafter for a person that feeds their soul is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and I, I alluded to this verse earlier, A person that feeds their soul, a day will come. All of us will be present on that day and it'll be the most difficult day. If you think that this world is difficult or any part of this world is difficult, today is difficult or tomorrow is difficult or a year from now will be difficult. There, it doesn't even compare. It doesn't even compare. We can't even, you know, put in, uh, we, we can't even, um, you know, compare it even exponentially to the difficulties that'll be on the day of judgment. It'll be such a difficult day. Such a difficult day. It will have no help on that day. Every man will be for himself. Every woman will be for herself. And we'll be looking. Hopefully someone will be there to help us. Someone. will look to our left. We'll look to our right. There'll be no one. So much so that we, will, we won't even identify each other. The mother will run away from the son. The brother will run away from the sister. That's how difficult of a day will be. We won't even be wearing clothes. And yet that, it won't even come across our mind that, oh, these people aren't wearing clothes because we're so worried on that day. Nothing in this world will compare to the difficulties of the Day of Judgment. And on that day when we need more than anything, some, you know, some sort of a light that tells us that, hey, you know, you'll be okay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَوْمَ لَا يَنْفَعُ وَلَا بَنُونَ On that day, your wealth will not help you. You could have made five million dollars in this world or become a billionaire in this world and it will have no bearing on your circumstances on the Day of Judgment. 
They don't have any bearing on your, of how, how much you made will not have a bearing of your circumstances of the judgment. It doesn't matter how big your home is. It doesn't matter how many cars you have. It doesn't matter if you wore a new pair of clothes every single day. It won't benefit you on the day of judgment. Mal, wala, banun, and your children or your relationships with people will have no benefit for you on that day. They won't have any benefit on that day. What will be of benefit to you and I on the, on the darkest day, if you want to call it that? On the most difficult day, what will be of benefit for you and I? A pure and sound heart. A pure and sound heart. That heart that a person recognized in their teens or in their 20s or in their 30s or even in their 80s before they're passing away that they had destroyed their soul and that they had to feed it with Qur'an, with good company, with good character, with righteousness, with giving money for charity, with serving the community. And they realize that this is what they had to actually be doing. A person that recognizes that and rectifies their heart and, and feeds their soul, that person, that person will succeed on the Day of Judgment. That's number one. Uh, that's, a, that's the first benefit. The second is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala looks at the believer, whether it be in this world or whether it be on the Day of Judgment, the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَنظُرُ إِلَىٰ صُوَرِكُمْ وَأَمْوَالِكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not look at your faces, suwarikum, وَأَمْوَالِكُمْ or your wealth. Allah ta'ala has, doesn't look at those things. You know, which, is, which in essence is us and our focus on the body. We're so concerned about how great we look and how attractive we are, for instance, at work or at school or, or to impress someone. We're so concerned, well, what are people going to think if I, you know, if I look like this? We're so concerned about these things. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't look at that. وَأَمْوَالِكُمْ And He doesn't count how much money you have in your pocket. وَلَكِنْ يَنْظُرُ إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ وَأَعْمَالِكُمْ On the other hand, what Allah Ta'ala does look at is إِلَىٰ قُلُوبِكُمْ What lies in your heart? What's in your heart? Is in your heart greed, malice, riya, ostentation, pride, love for this world, thinking that we're going to be here forever, you know, absence of tawakkul, and, and never trusting in Allah. Is that what's in your heart? Because that is what Allah Ta'ala is looking at. And that's what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking at. And if we spent our life focusing on beautifying our bodies and our exteriors and completely neglected our interior, meaning our soul, then it'll be a very difficult for us day for us on that day. So there's a few principles with regards to the body and the soul that, uh, that, we'll, that I want to touch on. The first principle that you have to understand about the soul and the body is that they exist in one space. The soul and the body, it exists in one space. You can think of it like a box. And if the soul is elevated, then by default, the body or the nafs, which is the, um, you can see the command center I said earlier, or you know, the, the heart, the core of the, of the body, is oh and, and and the nafs meaning the when I say nafs we're referring to the you know the animalistic desires of a human being which are what you usually mean to eat sleep and reproduce the nafs loves to eat eat and eat and eat we we can eat you know we eat right now four meals a day probably on average and we're still hungry in between 
We always want to eat and we're never satisfied. We have one meal and then another meal. And the nafs wants to eat a seven-course meal and then a 13-course meal and it never wants to stop. It wants to drink and it wants to have every possible flavor at Baskin Robbins and Cold Stones. It wants all of these things. The nafs loves to eat. The nafs, the animalistic desires again, the nafs loves to uh, sleep. Sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep. People that are, whose nafs has overpowered them, they, would, they just love to sleep. They can sleep for, for you know, days on end. They can sleep from you know, midnight until 3 or 4 o'clock in the following day and they'll still feel tired. And the Prophet who had whose nafs was suppressed could sleep for two hours and he would feel completely refreshed. Completely refreshed. So, so sleep. And then the third main thing is, is, is reproduction. Or in general, just our animalistic desire toward you know, the opposite gender. So these things, while we need to have sleep, we need to have, we need to have food, we don't completely neglect this. Um, and we, of course, Allah Ta'ala has created, us, uh, created for us spouses that allow us to fulfill you know, the third aspect as well. But that's what the nafs is. So as the soul grows, the nafs, by, because it's in the same space, this contained space, the nafs then is subdued because of it. So for instance, if the soul is fed through things like Qur'an, the soul is, the recitation of the Qur'an, the soul is fed through things like the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's fed through things like the sunnah of the Prophet Again, this is all soul food that nourishes the food, the soul, that comes from alamul amr, the commanded world, not the created world. Then what happens is the body then also suppresses itself. So as a result of a person engaging in all of these things, then their requirements for sleep will go down, then their requirements for eating will go down. They'll feel more satisfied with, you know, just a simple plate of just bread and, or, or, you know, maybe something, a, a dip. You know, so, so a consequence of elevating the soul is also that the body then suppress, the, the nafs in the body suppress themselves as well. And similarly, if we suppress the body, the soul then elevates as well. If we suppress the nafs, then the soul also elevates. The Prophet ﷺ emphasized the importance of suppressing the nafs in a hadith. He says, Al-kayyisu man dana nafsah. Right? Al-kayyisu man dana nafsah wa amila wa amila ima ba'd al-maut. The Prophet ﷺ said that the, six, the intelligent person, the wise person, the one with, you know, with, with, uh, with a mind, is that person that suppresses and subdues their nafs. So a person that subdues their nafs, their soul by default will then grow because it exists in the same space as the soul. So the two main ways by which a person um, is able to elevate their soul or is able to purify themselves is one by elevating the soul which then causes a degree of suppression of the nafs and the body and the other way is to suppress the body which causes some degree of elevation of the soul. And this results in a very close relationship with Allah. And the proof of this is in the pudding. The closest that a person feels to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is when? When is the closest? If you were, you know, if you were to think, when did I feel the closest to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala? When was it? In, in, in Ramadan. Ramadan is the month in which everyone would agree that, especially the end of Ramadan, we feel so close to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Why does that happen? Because we've this formula we've put into practice. We've suppressed the bodily desires. We didn't have. We we didn't. Meaning, eating is not haram. But to some degree, Allah Ta'ala said, you're going to fast for 30 days from sunrise, from, from dawn until sunset, you're going to fast. So you're suppressing the body. 
You're suppressing the body. And during that time, you aren't able to interact with your spouse intimately. So then that's also suppressing the body. And as a result, the soul is then beginning to grow. And then you're also praying taraweeh prayer at night. You had to pray 20 rakah or you know, 20 rakah of salah for one hour or two hours you're praying. And in that time, you aren't able to do what the body wants to do. The body wants to eat. While you're praying, you can't eat. The body wants to look around. The nafs just wants to play with, its, play with the cell phone. It wants to you know, stream the internet. But it can't do any of these things because you're caught in salah. So during the month of Ramadan, we, and we feed the soul in Ramadan by doing what? By reciting the Qur'an. We, we all, we can say that during the month of Ramadan, we read more Qur'an than we do the rest of the year. Right? Agreed? We read more Qur'an at that time the rest of the year. And as a result, the 27, 28, 29th day or night of Ramadan, we feel closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than we do at any other time of the year. It's because we figured out this formula. That if we want to become close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we want to purify ourselves in that way, then we have to elevate our soul and we have to suppress our body, the needs of the body, or suppress the desires of the body, the needs we have to fulfill. We have to eat, we have to sleep, we have to do these things. We have to work, all these things. But the desires of the body need to be suppressed. And a person that understands this principle will then succeed. The second principle, if you want to test if what's ghalib, um, or what's dominant in you, meaning if it's your soul or if it's your nafs, then you do two things. For anything, you know, if you want to see where you are, um, your status in, in, in something, there'll always be a test. And the test to determine if you are a slave to your body, or if your soul is now controlling you, or it's now dominating over you, then there's two things that, that you do. The first thing is you enter into salah. Enter into salah. When a person enters into salah, they will know how nourished their soul is and how controlled or not controlled their nafs is. If I enter into salah, and as soon as I enter into salah, I'm wondering what the score of the game is, then my nafs is taken over, then my nafs is what's dominating over me. If I enter into salah and I'm, in, I'm just waiting for the salah to end so that I can get out of it as soon as I can, then I know that my nafs is in control of me. If I enter into salah and I am running through, or if, I'm enter, if I enter into salah and I'm worried about what my reply will be to an email that I just read on my phone a few minutes ago, then I know that my soul is not, my, my soul is not what's dominant in me, it's my nafs that's taken control over me. Does that make sense? The second thing that you do is to, uh, to test, to see where you are, what your state is. Because you have to do this on your own. Everyone has to do this. I mean, I can't tell you where you are in, in your deen and your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't tell me. We can't. This is a part of us as human beings being self-reflective. We have to reflect upon our state. And we have to put ourselves through these tests to see where am I? Is my nafs, is my body completely out of control? Or, or have I given my soul preference and has that, has that taken over? So, if in, uh, so the first, if in salah, you, you, you start praying your salah and you are enjoying the salah. You're, you know, waiting, you're, you're, you're enjoying the salah and you're spending you know, several minutes in your salah or maybe even hours in your salah and you're enjoying the recitation of the salah and you are so engaged in the salah, that means your soul has been, your soul is elevated and your nafs, which wants to get out, is subdued. It's subdued. 
The second thing is to sit 15 minutes quietly in one spot and try to reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Try it. It's difficult. It's very difficult. We are not used to silence at all nowadays because we're so connected. We're connected. Before we were connected to TVs, you know, 20 years ago. And then 10 years ago, we were all connected to the internet. And now we're all connected to this guy. Where is he? This thing. We're all connected to this. It's always on us. It's always on us. So try sitting down for 15 minutes. Put your phone away. You know, put your cell phone away. Put, turn it off or put the ringer off. And, you know, disconnect your internet and try to sit for 15 minutes and see if you're able to sit and reflect upon, reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness. If you're able to sit for 15 minutes quietly and the entire time you're able to reflect upon Allah, that means that your soul is then elevated and your nafs has been subdued. But if in that time you're constantly thinking, oh, when is this going to be done? And you keep checking the clock and think it's only been 10 minutes, man, it's only 5 minutes to go. Or if, you're, if, if during that time you're thinking about, you know, your cell phone, then you know that, that the cell phone, which is, uh, or excessive use of the cell phone has then taken over your life. It has then taken over your life. Or the internet, or sports, or your friends, or, you know, whatever, whatever. We, we each have our own challenge. Everyone has their own challenge. But the test is to sit down for 15 minutes in isolation. You know, kind of like the Prophet ﷺ, he went to, before Nubuwa, he went into the cave and sat for days on end in reflection and self-reflection. So this is the test for us as well. Enter into salah, or just sit in silence and reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness and see if you're able to do it. If we're not able to do it, then it's a sign of an impure heart. It's a sign of an impure heart, a soul that hasn't been nourished, and it's a sign that the body and the nafs has been fed. And that has to be reversed to some degree. SubhanAllah, 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 SubhanAllah